This is Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Welcome to Beyond the Badge. I am your host, Vincent Hill, coming back at you after a week off. I'm back in Atlanta, Georgia. I missed you guys so much. I was out in Nashville, Tennessee the last few days last week taping a show called Crime Watch Daily. It's actually about uh, the Steve McNair case, something I've written two books about. I've talked about it on my show in the past, Playbook to a Murder and Incomplete Past. Finally actually able to tell this story in a way it's never been told before, to open people's eyes to what really happened to Steve McNair, July 4, 2009. It's going to air sometime in September. I know the production crew is still out taping other people that are involved in this in the story. Uh, they were in Florida today. They're going to be in Atlanta on Wednesday taping a few people that are heavily involved in this case and the story that is Steve McNair. Again, if you've never... Never believe what happened on that day, July 4, 2009, to the NFL quarterback Steve McNair. I urge you, and again, not for money, not for anything besides knowledge, I urge you to get on Amazon.com, Playbook to a Murder, Incomplete Pass. I hope that you'll tune in in September when this airs on Crime Watch, Crime Watch Daily. And I assure you, there's going to be some bombshells dropped when this story airs. All right, so we're back at it. Just before I came on, I played just a snidbit of some sound from some body cam and dash cam video out in Chicago. And you know Chicago has this new thing where they're releasing video and all of this stuff to be transparent, whatever you want to call it. So uh, the backstory is police were chasing uh, a guy named Paul O'Neill. In a stolen car. He fled from the vehicle. He was shot in the back once he died. And of course now there's protesters. There's people saying it was an execution. A modern day lynching. It was murder according to his attorney. It was execution. The the family attorney. It was an execution of another black man. In Chicago. And people are demanding justice. Demanding this that and the other. And when I heard about this case. It reminded me of a song by one of my favorite hip-hop artists. And let me preface this by saying I'm not being cruel when I say this. It's just being factual. And the song is, You're Nobody Until Somebody Kills You. And if you go back a few weeks before this shooting uh, at the end of July, how many people have heard the name Paul O'Neill worldwide? How many people have heard the name Paul O'Neill in Chicago, those same people that are out protesting right now for his death, 
How many people have heard his name? Now, let's look at it, not from what people want you to see. Let's look at it, and let's break this down. So, police, get a call about this stolen Jaguar. Police, got a call about a stolen Jaguar. I'll say it one more time. Police got a, a call about a stolen Jaguar. They spot the stolen Jaguar. Of course, what does he do? He takes off. He flees because he's in a stolen car. Mm, that's to be expected. It happened to me hundreds of times. That's what people do. They're in a stolen car. Uh-oh, the police are behind me. I'm going to run. So, he's going through neighborhoods at a high rate of speed. Police are chasing one body cam shows one officer get out the passenger side of the car and start firing. You look at the other body cam, it shows that officer firing. Then when you look at a third angle, it shows Mr. O'Neill just about running that officer over that got out of his driver's side. So you got this 2,000, 3,000 pound car coming at him at a high rate of speed, he jumps out of the way and starts firing. Hmm. Sounds like he was trying to protect his life. Because at that moment, it's obvious, Mr. O'Neill would have committed vehicular homicide or attempted vehicular homicide had that officer not gotten out of the way. So, he goes down the street, boom, crashes into a police car. Bails out. Here's where it gets confusing. And think about this. Put yourself in this situation. Here's where it gets confusing. Because I'll go ahead and tell you, Mr. O'Neill was unarmed when he was shot. And that's what everyone is in an uproar about. But put yourself in this situation. The officer that did the shooting said, as he approached, he heard gunshots. He's chasing a stolen vehicle. He's now chasing a fleeing felon which, by the way, the Supreme Court says you can shoot a fleeing felon if certain steps are met. He's heard these gunshots, so what does he do as this fleeing felon, felon is fleeing? He fires. Now, there's nowhere in that law, the fleeing felon law, that says they have to be armed. It's not there. There's things that say if they may pose a threat to others, if they may pose a threat to the public, well, he had met some of that criteria. He tried to run one officer over. He rammed the stolen car and head on to another police officer. He was running through neighborhoods. Obviously, he wasn't running through neighborhoods to deliver the paper. So there could have been a threat to the public, to that neighborhood, had this guy got away. But that's, that's beside the point. My point is, this officer said, and it's on his body cam, that... I don't know if he shot or not. I heard gunshots. Do you see how that can be confusing? He may not have known that those gunshots came from the police officer. He heard gunshots. And what is he doing? He's chasing a fleeing felon who had stolen a car. It's not uncommon for people who steal cars, who flee from police, to also have guns on them. It's not uncommon. So everyone is up in an uproar about Mr. O'Neill 
that this white officer killed this black boy again, not again in the city of Chicago, when we're just coming off Laquan McDonald, not again in the city of Chicago, but no one's taking into account the actions, the events that led up to it. I urge you, I urge you, I urge you, go watch every angle of that car chase. Go watch the angle where that black Jaguar is coming at that officer at a high rate of speed. And it was a split second that he got out of the way to save his own life. And then put yourself in those shoes. Again, I'm not justifying. I'm not saying the officer should have killed Mr. O'Neill. I'm not saying Mr. O'Neill deserved to die for stealing a car. By no means is that what I'm saying. What I'm saying is put yourself in that situation. And granted, yeah, it was several minutes long. But I'm going to tell you, that stuff goes by in the blink of an eye. When you hear bullets flying and you got cars coming at you at 100 miles an hour and you're jumping out of the way to make sure you don't get hit, you don't say, oh, well, I think that took two and a half minutes. I think it took three minutes and 15 seconds. All of that is a blur. Trust me. All of it is a blur. I've been in many car chases. I've had many guns pointed at me. I can't sit here and tell you, well, I chased the suspect for 15 minutes at a speed of 20 miles an hour, and then we were at a speed of 100 miles an hour, and then we went westbound on Trinity Lane. I couldn't tell you any of that. I can tell you that happened just like that. Because you're focused on getting the bad guy. You're focused on protecting the community. This guy's going down residential streets at a high rate of speed. Obviously, he didn't care that he would have hit the police officer. He probably wouldn't have cared if he would have hit a five-year-old, six-year-old black boy in the street. He probably wouldn't have cared if he hit a 70-year-old grandmother in the street, as long as he, Mr. O'Neill, could have got away. But no one, no one wants to think about that. Like I said, you're nobody until somebody kills you. Had Mr. O'Neill hit the four-year-old black boy or hit the 70-year-old black woman, the grandmother, you think it would be on the news? Do you think Black Lives Matter would be out protesting? No. But you would still have some families who are dealing with grief and loss because of Mr. O'Neill's actions. Now, I don't know how many times I can say it. Police just don't go out Wake up in the morning as a white police officer. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go kill a black guy today. Because that's what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to kill two black guys today. Because that's what I want to do. Contrary to what people will lead you to believe, contrary to what you see in the news... That is the furthest thing from the truth, because your average police officer, when I say average, I say 99.9%, that's average. Your average police officer does not ever want to have to pull that trigger. And it's not because they're worried about, well, nowadays it is, 
that they're worried about being that guy in the news, it's because no matter how you shake it and bake it, slice it and dice it, nobody wants to take another person's life. No police officer. If a police officer could go 30 years without pulling that trigger, I assure you he or she would do it. I went plenty of years without having to pull the trigger. I came close, but I'm thankful I didn't have to. And not because I would be worried about being in the news. I don't care who you are. If you have half of a conscience, you will not get that image out of your head. Especially, especially if you're doing it because of someone else's actions. Not because you just want to do a drive-by and be big and bad. Not because you want to be a gangster and just walk up to someone and shoot them. When I say because of someone else's actions, because you got a call. Because this person was attempting to hurt this person. This person attempted to hurt you. You don't want to live with that. No officer does. So, Mr. O'Neill's shot. He's laying on the ground. And he's handcuffed. And people are in uproar about that. That the officers didn't call, didn't render aid. Well, the fact is... They did call for a paramedic, and you can hear that in the radio transmission. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. Although officers have a little bit of first aid training, they're not medics. They don't know how to deal with gunshot wounds to the back. That's not what they're trained to do. They're trained to protect and serve. They're not trained to be medics. So the outrage was that he was handcuffed while he was dying. Well, those officers didn't know he was dying, and at that moment, they still perceived a threat. And in most departments, it is policy to handcuff an individual, whether they're injured or not, because just because someone is shot doesn't mean that A, they are dead, and B, they can't shoot you, C, that they can't still fight. So the fact that he was handcuffed really is irrelevant. It's those people who have no idea about police training and police tactics. Again, when they see these videos, they're all of a sudden police experts that are making that point. Oh, he was handcuffed on the ground and dying. Look what they did to this black boy. Well, Dylan Taylor, the unarmed white teen in Salt Lake City, was handcuffed on the ground while he was dying. Was that racial or was that police tactics and training because remember just because you're shot or just because you've been tased or just because someone's used pepper spray on you doesn't mean you don't have fight left in you doesn't mean you can't kill an officer it's happened in the past if you don't believe me officer down memorial page.org org, and there's countless officers that have been killed by unarmed people, even when those unarmed people have been shot, tased, pepper sprayed. It happens. People that don't want to go to jail have superhuman strength. It's true. It's like the Incredible Hulk. They turn David Banner on you. So, as this goes on, you, you hear the officer give the address for the EMS that people say, you know, police didn't render aid. 
And then they start asking each other, are you hurt? Are you hit? And then people are questioning, well, why would they do that? They would know if they're shot. Well, not necessarily, because when your adrenaline is up, sometimes it takes a few minutes for that to settle back down before you realize your body's in pain. I felt it. I'm sure other officers I know have felt it. There's been plenty of times where I've cut myself or bruised myself or something like that in the midst of chasing a suspect, in the midst of fighting a suspect, where I don't feel it for about five or ten minutes afterwards, and then it's like, oh my God, how the heck did I get cut here? I need stitches. Oh my God, look at this knot. How did this happen? So it's highly possible that that could have happened. Again, all of these police experts, even the mayor, that have no clue what's going on, all of a sudden know what it's like to be a police officer because they saw this five-minute video of this shooting, and they would have acted a different way. I know you would have shot him in the leg. You would have shot him in the arm. You would have let him go and then found him later. You would have done all of these things because you are the police expert, not these officers that have been doing this job for years, that go to training every year, that went to an extensive police academy. Those aren't the police experts. It's those people that are protesting right now based on this video, this five-minute video of an event that took way longer than five minutes because you have to add in the car being stolen. You have to add in the police chase. You have to add in his fleeing. You have to add all of these factors in to get a full picture. But everyone in the city of Chicago is a police expert. You're nobody until somebody kills you. And although we came close to convicting one of the officers when his case was tried before 12 Baltimore City residents, the judge who is within his right, has made it clear that he doesn't agree with the state's theory of the case and does not believe that any of the actions or inactions of these officers rise to the level of criminality. The judge has acquitted three of these officers, one of the arresting officers, the wagon driver, the highest-ranking police officer in these matters. In light, in light of these consistent outcomes, the likelihood of the remaining defendant's decision to elect a bench trial with this very same judge is highly probable, and unfortunately, so is the outcome. So, of course, I'm changing topics. So that was state's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, talking about the Freddie Gray case. And why does she sound so angry? Why? Why is she pointing fingers at the judge? The judge didn't find the case to be accurate. He didn't find the evidence that you and your prosecutors presented. Why are you pointing fingers at the judge? I point the finger at you because I said it a year ago. Millions of people said it a year ago. Law enforcement professionals said it a year ago. Attorneys said it a year ago that you never really had a case. All you had was a chance for you to say, well, if I do this and I appease the black community, I'll get reelected. I'll get a book deal. I'll get TV deals. I'll get this, which you probably still will because of all this crap. But that was your intention. 
it wasn't because you thought that these officers, as much as you say that you really believe they killed Freddie Gray and their acts were homicide and they were criminal, it wasn't because of any of that. You wanted to appease the black community. You wanted your reelection. You wanted what was in it for you financially. That is the truth. And what happened? It backfired on you. And now what's happening? They want your disbarment. Imagine that. They want your disbarment. There's actually a Facebook page out on your behalf, Marilyn Mosby, that you probably know about. It's the Remove Marilyn Mosby as Baltimore City State's Attorney Facebook page. And it has 1,971 followers. A hundred people talking about it as of the time of this show. Did you not sit and think when you were contemplating bringing these charges of the backlash of the lawsuits of just looking like a complete idiot? Did you not think about all of this stuff when you did it? Well, I guess we actually know the answer to that question. No, you didn't. You were thinking about other things, and it came back to bite you in the butt. And now you look like a fool. Now you're getting sued, as if you hadn't cost the city of Baltimore enough money, as if Freddie Gray's family didn't get $60 million, as if you didn't have to do back pay for these officers now. Now you're getting sued. Now people want you disbarred. And what do you have to show for it? Now you're on here screaming and pointing fingers, blaming the judge, blaming detectives who were hiding evidence and refusing to execute search warrants that could have been valuable in the case, text messages about Freddie Gray between the other officers. Well, I can guarantee you there weren't any text messages. It's not like they were texting each other, yeah, we killed that black boy. I assure you of that because... A, he died outside of their custody. B, everything they did was legal. So I'm sure to them, although it was tragic, although they had it on their mind, although they probably couldn't sleep because of it, because again, police are human, their intentions were not to kill Freddie Gray. And you can yell, you can scream, you can sound like the angry black woman all you want, but that is not going to change the fact. That those officers, three which are black by the way, had no intentions of killing Freddie Carlos Gray in Baltimore, Maryland. Now I'm really not a big advocate of seeing someone lose their livelihood. I'm really not. But for you to abuse your power in the way that you did, and you know you abused your power, and you know you bullied people into doing stuff, you know this. For you to have abused your power, Marilyn Mosby, the way you did, if you get disbarred, I will not be upset about it. Let's just put it that way. If you get disbarred, I will not be upset about it. As well as a lot of people across this country, not just white people, not just law enforcement, but there's some black folks in there that... No, what you did had nothing to do with any criminal act by those police or anything like that. It was for your personal agenda to make yourself famous 
And yes, you made yourself famous. You definitely did. You just did it in the wrong way. You did it in a way that you will never, ever, ever be able to escape from. You go to a restaurant, people are going to know who you are. You go get a new car, people are going to know who you are. You go on vacation, people are going to know who you are. You are now famous. Congratulations. You reached your goal, but I don't think you're going to want the fame that comes with what you did. All right, last thing, and then I got to get out of here. It's the second day of school, 10th grade. You know how that homework stuff goes, and being a single dad, you got to check homework. You got to make sure lunches are packed and all that good stuff. So I got to get out of here, but I want to touch on uh, this D.C. Metro Transit officer, Nicholas Young, who was arrested by the FBI uh, about a week ago for having uh, ties to ISIS, for having helped assist ISIS or who he thought uh, he was assisting. And he's actually been under surveillance since 2010. And he was just let go last week. Now, A, I have a problem with that because, yeah, I understand the FBI wants to build their investigation. I get that. But, it was the D.C. Transit Police that tipped the FBI off about this guy. So my thinking is, if you thought he had ties to ISIS, to radical Islam, to a terrorist group, you should have, for whatever reason, let him go. So you paid this guy for an additional six years. Now, according to records... He's made trips to Libya. And some of you may remember Libya. There's a word called Benghazi. And, you know, some American people got killed over there. And the Obama administration and Secretary Clinton, you know, kind of refused to send back up there while these Americans were getting killed. You've heard of it. Uh, there's a movie called 13 Hours. So this guy, this D.C. transit cop, goes to Libya a few times because he was assisting the regime really? And he goes over with military gear, Kevlar, bulletproof vest, and other military items, according to the report. He has been documented on phone conversations with known homegrown radical Islamic terrorists who are now in prison for plotting against the United States. Hmm. He dressed up as Jihadi Johnny for Halloween and carried around a body without a head as a Halloween costume, but yet Metro DC Transit Police didn't fire him. I don't know if that had anything to do with the current administration since they're scared to scream radical Islam, although Loretta Lynch says it's troubling that people with these radical thoughts can have such reach. Well, let's call it what it is. Radical Islamic terrorism so he's under surveillance he's told by this guy who he thinks is a member of isis to send 245 dollars worth of uh what do you call it prepaid credit cards so they can use that as a communication tool to communicate with those back in libya so he does that it's actually an undercover fbi agent and they arrest him and now he's been terminated but again my problem is as if police don't already have a bad enough reputation in this country. My problem is that for six years, this police department paid this individual. 
even though he was under investigation by the federal government, the FBI, he worked for the DC transit police, you know, the train, the subway, the choo-choo, you know, the thing where thousands of people get on daily in the DC area, you know, the thing that sometimes might pass by a very important government building. And what does ISIS like to do? They like to blow stuff up. They like to shoot a lot of people. So for six years, we allowed this guy that has ties to terrorists, known terrorists, by the way, to stay employed. That is the real question. I don't question how he was recruited. I mean, it's no secret. A lot of this terrorist stuff that happens in this country is homegrown. Yes, they're recruited. Police are not exempt from that, especially a transit cop who's not making a lot of money, who, although thinks he's like the police police, let's be honest, he stands at the train station. Okay. If you go outside the train station, he has no jurisdiction. So, but my point is, it's no secret, yeah, people get recruited from this country all the time. The two known terrorists that he had ties to, that he was under surveillance with, are now in prison, and they were American-born. My problem is the fact that someone allowed this guy that much time. Do you know what he could have planned in six years? Do you know the destruction he could have allowed ISIS to do in those six years? Now, yes, the administration has said there were never any worries that he had any plots against the Washington, D.C. transit station or any plots against this country. Well, let's be honest. Why in the world would he be associated with ISIS? Why in the world would he be sending money to ISIS? Why would he be taking trips to Libya with military gear to assist the regime? Hmm. Why would he have a cache of weapons and ammo at his apartment? That wasn't because he liked to go shooting. We're not talking one or two pistols like you would find in my house. No, no, no. When someone says a cache or a cache, depending on how you pronounce it, that means that's a lot. That means there's a lot of rounds and a lot of guns and a lot of other stuff. But there was no threat that he was going to do anything in the transit station or any plots against this country. I don't buy it. You can tell me that all you want, but I don't buy it. And to Loretta Lynch, since you just call it radical thinking instead of radical Islamic terrorism, out of the 50 states, 50, out of the 50 states, 25 states have had homegrown American born and raised recruits to join ISIS. And some of these states are pretty surprising. Texas, four recruits. Arizona, two recruits. Colorado, one recruit. Florida, two recruits. Georgia, one recruit. South Carolina, one. Virginia, four. Minnesota, 13. Minnesota, 13. That is crazy. Wisconsin, one. Wisconsin? 
the cheese capital, Wisconsin, Michigan, won. New York, not surprising, which leads Minnesota, 17, not surprising. So my point is, radical Islam is real. It just doesn't happen overseas in Germany. It just doesn't look like someone named Mohammed Abid Abdulaziz. It's real in this country. These guys, this organization is here to destroy this country. We have to be mindful of that. We can't take anything lightly at all. It's real. The threat is real. They're recruiting right here. Be on your guard. Be on your P's and Q's. And report anything. Anything. Will you be accused of being a racist? Maybe. Will you be accused of putting certain people in a stereotype? Maybe. But think about this. Here's a guy, this D.C. transit officer who had been on the department since 2003. People walked by him every day and had no clue, no clue that he was a supporter of ISIS. So, you could be called a racist. You could say that you're stereotyping people. But in this day and age, would you rather be politically correct? Or would you rather protect this great country? I'm going to go with option B. A, because I'm never really correct, never really, really politically correct by any means. So I'm going to always go with option B. If you see something, say something. It's your future. It's your kid's future. And anything can happen anytime. It just ain't over across the sea. It just ain't in Orlando. It's just not in San Bernardino. It can happen anywhere, anytime, any day. All right, it's time for roll call. And it's sad that I have to report this. Police officer Jonathan M. D. Guzman, San Diego Police. You may remember this. Of course, I didn't get to go over this last week when I was out. He was killed July 28, 2016. He and his partner observed two men walking in the area. They split up when they saw the patrol car coming. D. Guzman's partner exited the patrol car, approached one of the men and asked if he lived in the area, at which time he pulled out a gun without saying a word, opened fire, and hit him in the neck. He also hit D. Guzman five times while he was still seated in the patrol car, and any officer will tell you that is a death zone when you're sitting in the patrol car and someone comes up to you because you don't have the room to react, you don't have the time to react. So... The partner that was shot in the neck actually returned fire. He wounded this guy. They caught him a short time later. Thankfully, he's being charged with murder and attempted murder of those police officers. And, of course, he's a felon in possession of a weapon. You know, felons in possession of a weapon like Alton Bland. Those type of guys. So, uh, sad to report, Officer Jonathan M. D. Guzman, end of watch, July 28, 2016, I want to thank him for his service. He served for 16 years. He was also on the gang suppression unit. He survived by his wife and two children. And I bet you they will tell you his life 
matter. Thank you for your service. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you. I will see you next week. Same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, exclusively right here on RadioInfluence.com. Thank you and good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you the best in digital media broadcasting. We've got something for everybody. National sports radio talents such as the fabulous sports babe and Rich Herrera. Huge podcasts like the Don, Tony, and Kevin Castle Show. And the MMA Insiders with Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan. New shows like Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill. Entertainment shows like LOL with Nancy Alexander. And shows that'll make you think like Dangerous Conversation with Scott Ledger. We've got you covered. You can find all our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.